0: Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. This is Sherry Beck, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with United States Navy Captain Hung Kao. Hung, thank you so much for chatting with me today. You have a very compelling story, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with our listeners.
0: Oh, thank you very much for having me, Sherry.
1: All right. Well, let's start off by telling us where you were born and also the important journey that you and your family made in 1975 from Vietnam to the United States.
0: Well, you know, Sherry, I had the normal childhood, right? Born in Vietnam, raised in Africa, spent my summers in Europe. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, uh, (laughs) it's one of those things where we were, I I was born in Vietnam, uh, and my, my, you know, in 1975 with the fall of Saigon, we, we escaped, uh, 14 hours before the end. And so, you know, we, we came to United States and, you know, my father was, uh, had a PhD in agriculture and his friends were like, you know, I mean, unless you want to be a farmer, there's really not much to do with agriculture over here. So they, they said, Hey, you know, you can make a really good living for yourself and your family. If you go to, developed third world countries so he uh he immediately brought us over to west africa in niger uh we spent a lot of time in niger and then you know sometimes in mali senegal um he spent some time in uh, madagascar and stuff like that but you know we, we grew up over there and then around the age of 12 so in 1982 my parents realized uh you know they they need an american education because we spent most of our times in, in uh, french schools for all of our time in French school speaking french at school and and Vietnamese at home so I had to come back and learn English at the age of 12 um, in northern Virginia so my mom brought us all back here and my parents had to basically you know, my dad had to be a, a geo bachelor uh geographical bachelor which a lot of military families understand that hardship you know where the father has to live somewhere else and and you see him only every six months
1: mm-hmm Right. How many brothers and sisters do you have, Hung?
0: I have four older sisters. I'm the youngest. Okay. All right. Yeah.
1: And wow, that was pretty um, a pretty brave trek from Africa back to the United States with with five children. Correct? <laughs> For your yeah. mom to no, do it, that, yeah.
0: Yes. You know. You know. She. Um, it, it is sacrifice. You know. It's hard to to. I mean, I, I can understand how single moms have to do do things. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, they weren't separate you know they're just geographically separated but it's just it's hard you know sometimes the uh, kids need their their father too as an influence and you know you only see your your dad every six months or so and it's just really hard
1: sure absolutely um and as a 12 year old and having to learn english how difficult was that
0: um you know i i learned english through uh watching tv and stuff like that too you know the a team and all those those fun shows but really it's um you know, it, it, the English language is not very different from French. It's just the the idioms and the 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 slangs that, mm-hmm. that make it really difficult, right? You you have the same word for many things, or it's the tonality of of uh, of how you say things that that make the English language uh, more challenging.
1: Right, right, okay, all right. Well, looking back um, on you know your childhood, what? What lasting impression did that have on you, Hung, as far as, you know, the bravery that your father displayed in in getting his family from Vietnam to the United States? And how how has that impacted your life?
0: Uh, you know, we understand sacrifice. I mean, it's just really hard. Uh, my, my my parents, just their whole story uh, for my mom, for example, she was the last person to see her father alive. He was the mayor of Saigon. Mm. Her mom was the... Uh, miss saigon and, and so you know at the age of uh, of uh, 11 her dad said hey you know uh, she heard some commotion outside she went outside and, and her dad was being hauled off by the by the vietcong and he's like hey i'll, I'll be right back and now she was last person to to see him alive you know and mm-hmm. her growing up without a father was really really hard on her and, and her development mm-hmm. um, so from her you know i learned what, you know, I guess they call us preppers, but I mean, she understood what it was like to prep. Cause you don't know what tomorrow brings, you know, to, to save everything and, and to, to save any, every penny and, and, and cut back on, on certain things. And, you know, like little things like shampoo, you know, add a little water in it and it'll be fine. And you know, make, make you go long, uh, make it go a little longer. Mm-hmm. Those are the hardships that my mom learned how to, how to, to, uh, you know, work across. Whereas my father, his, his dad was, um, imprisoned by the French, uh, when he was 13. So he, um uh, so he had to drop out of school to, uh, raise a you know, basically make a living, you know, doing odd jobs, uh, because he had two younger brothers and a younger sister and a mom. Uh, and so he had to basically do all these odd jobs to, to feed the family as the man of the house that, until his father was released from prison. But that, that was really hard, you know, and he had to basically teach himself, um, through the books of his younger brothers and sister, um, but he still managed to go. You know, he earned a scholarship to go to the University of Philippines to get his bachelor's and to the and uh, Cornell University uh, to get his uh, masters and PhD. So, you know, it's that that initial sense of sacrifice and everything else. And then, you know, in, in seventy five, he well, he came back to the uh, to Vietnam, and he he rose up in the Ministry of Agriculture. But then in 1975, when this country fell, they had to make the hard decision of of, of leaving. And his own father would call them a coward for for wanting to abandon his country. But mm. it's like, you know, they had no choice. And so, you know, uh, they, they had to, to pull us out. And then the hard decision, honestly, was when uh, they told them they can only bring three of the five kids. So who do you bring? Mm-hmm. you know? And, and so my parents had to have that hard discussion. You I mean, what would you do if they, they asked you, Hey, which one of your kids are you going to leave behind and which ones you're going to bring with you? Mm. And, you know, so my oldest sister was uh, born in Ithaca. So she's an American citizen by birth. So with her, her American citizenship, um, uh, you know, they couldn't leave her behind. And then I was too young for them to leave behind. And, uh, so the decision was my, my, uh, my second and third sisters, you know, they were already teenagers, so they they can fend it for themselves and they can, you know, they can stay with uh, one of my my aunts or uncles until, you know, there's such time that my parents could figure out how to bring back, uh, bring over. But, you know, those were the hard discussions they had to have. But thank goodness, you know, by a miracle of God, they were able to, to bring all of us over and they didn't have to, to endure that. But I I know that was something that they had to to really think and, and discuss um, deeply about.
1: Right, right. Well, and also for your mom and dad, you know, their, their childhood experiences and, and not having their fathers around, you know? Um, wow. That had to be really, really difficult. And, uh, like you said, thank goodness everything worked out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> well, hung as a young man, you had a very strong desire to give back and serve in the United States military. Um, you were accepted into the U.S. Naval Academy and studied ocean engineering. And what, what does your service mean to you, Hung?
0: You know, it, um, it means, you know, answering a call, right? I mean, I remember when we were in uh, West Africa, it was in 1979, the, uh, the Shah of Iran fell. Um, and so, at that point, they were afraid of all, like basically a, uh, a Muslim insurrection, right? So, all the countries, uh, all the uh, Islamic countries, um, the Americans had to be prepared to do a new evacuation, uh, which is a non non combatant uh, evacuation operation, to to evacuate uh, to, to take all American citizens out of there. So, you know they they pulled they pulled us to the embassy and 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 you know, the Marines stood watchovers and, and you know, that night they, they stood there with their their, their M sixteens and you know and, and the look in their eyes is like, Hey, nothing's gonna hurt you tonight, not not under my watch. And that's that's what service means to me. You know, you put yourself on the line to defend uh, people that can't defend themselves or to defend the idea of, you know, what we stand for as a nation, the democracy and and freedom. And so that's that's what service means to me. Uh, and giving back to this country means means Believing everything that it stands for, believing you know what the the flag stands for and what our Pledge of Allegiance stands for.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what what led you to actually choosing the diving community and then later the EOD career field?
0: So it's it's in, for the officer community, it's all one. Uh, okay. So the Special Operations community it was uh, is what what I was commissioned under, which you know you have to spend some time in diving salvage and then back to EOD. So I, I, my career has been going back and forth in that I wanted to do something, um, you know, every young boy wants to do something, you know, I guess I want to say extraordinary. I don't want to be arrogant into saying that I, I didn't want to go special warfare. You know, it's, um, even though I, I did all the, the pre-screening for that, it, it was just not in my heart, you know, I just, but the, uh, the special operations community offered me a lot of Cool things, you know. You get to to dive, you know, dive deep. As a Navy deep sea diver, I did a lot of good things underwater. And then, as an EOD technician, I've done a lot of things on on land and on ground. And I've had a very diverse background. I've spent time, you know, in uh, on a salvage ship. Three years on a salvage ship where we did a lot of high visibility um, diving, including you know, uh, recovering John F. Kennedy Jr. The USS Monitor. I pulled up a, a the prototype to the first sherman dupex uh drive tank which is a a an amphibious tank that they just developed just for d-day uh, you know we did a lot of really neat neat uh things including uh, other salvages of aircrafts that crashed into the ocean and stuff like that uh as an eud guy you know we i, I led a, a team um on a on a deployment and then i had the uh EOD detachment uh in uh san diego where we, we were part of the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, did a lot of responses with the local sheriff's department, the uh, the Metro Arson Strike Team. Uh, we did stuff with T um, E A also, the you know looking for a body that was dumped in Yuma, Arizona. It, it's just a lot of neat stuff. And then even along the way, I, I commanded uh, Sexy, the Commanding Explosive Exploitation Cell, where we we uh, we went out and, and interrogated any kind of um, uh, terrorist attacks that killed Americans or. You know some of the high-profile kills. We gather all the evidence, bring it back, and and piece it together to see how an ID works, how to how to uh, uh, defend against it, like wh- where we put new signals into our uh, electric uh, electronic countermeasures, and then also we lifted fingerprints and DNA and, and prosecuted these guys. So that's really a, a really neat uh, you know way of of looking at how we we take EOD to the next level, mm-hmm. and then even today, you know what I'm doing with uh, incensed activities is taking those things and how do you turn it back against the enemy. And, and so those are neat things, ways to, to, to think of our, our career field, how, how, you know, you're at first, it's it's countering the device, then it's, it's um, defeating the device. And then finally it's attacking the network, you know, the, the network that uh, that put these devices out there. And um, I don't, I'm, I'm very proud of what we do. Uh, i I'm very proud of being an EOD technician and a, a diver, also.
1: As you should be, um, you know the career field is very diverse, and it seems like, you know, you never get you never get bored or complacent.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. It's great for especially an ADHD guy, right? Because you you change jobs every couple of years, and you're doing something completely
1: different. Right, <laughs> right. Um. Well, you are, uh, very well respected in the military community hung and, um, have been recognized for your leadership. Um, and are there any medals or awards or any nominations that you are most proud of, whether it be military or on the civilian side?
0: Oh yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, you know, I was, uh, given a lot of things, the, you know, in, um, Monterey, I, I stood up a bomb squad out there, and uh, basically uh, the uh, it's a police bomb squad. And, and so what happened was Charles Schwab got a couple of IEDs put on his doorstep. And so it, uh, at the time, before that, uh, Fort Ord was res- doing all the responses for Monterey. Well, when they, they bracked or, or closed down Fort Ord, no one responded. So it took, I think, San Diego, uh, San Jose uh, Sheriff's Department about eight hours to respond. And so, uh, the FBI felt compelled felt to stand up a a bomb squad in Monterey. And and so, you know, they were uh, it was a fledgling unit that that uh, it was only a collateral duty for them. Basically, they're patrolmen first, and then on weekends they can do this stuff. And so, you know, they didn't have a lot of experience. And and the FBI then asked me to uh, to help develop this team. And so, on the weekends, um, I would train these guys, and I would pull in guys from from uh, the Defense Language Institutes, EOD techs that were there, and also EOD officers that were were at the postgraduate school with me as well. And we would train these guys on the weekends. And we took them from a fledgling unit to really the number two team in in, in, in all of California because a few years later they had a uh, a um, all-bomb squad uh, competition. And I remember the FBI uh, agent... Um, the special agent bomb tech that was in charge of that was my classmate from the Academy and a Navy, uh, UD technician. He's like, you know, are you guys military? Like, no, no, uh, we're not, but we we're trained by this guy hung Kao. And so he's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe, believe it. So because of, uh, what we did with the bomb squad, the sheriff uh, gave me the distinguished service award for the sheriff's department and the, the, uh, Minor County peace officers association uh, named me the person of the year. So that was something that I was really, really proud of—to um, be able to, to, um, to influence a, a county uh, and 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 protect the public. Mm-hmm. And then in Panama City, I, I created this thing called the Year of Military Diver, where we 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 celebrate the 100th year anniversary of the Mark V dive helmet, the 75th anniversary of of the base, the uh, it was the 40th year women had been diving in the military, and we brought in these uh, these pioneer diving women you know admirals like uh, bet Bulvar and and the first uh female master diver and we brought in um physicians and 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 astronauts like heidi piper uh you know she's a navy diver and then she became a, an astronaut and at nasa brought in their robotic arm and everything else and because of that we were able to influence um the young ladies in, in the young students in panama city you know i, I hate to say this because the superintendent is a good friend of mine but you know they have an eighty uh, percent graduation, high school graduation rate in Panama City, and so to be able to influence those young young ladies to to see what they can become, you know we bust in probably a thousand kids from the local high schools and everything else, so they can see these uh, these pioneer women divers as well as some other, um, uh, you know, very influence uh, influential divers around the world. Also for special projects, guys, you know it was a big a city-wide celebration. So for that, um the city gave me uh the you know, I was given the the key to the city and after my command tour at the dive school, uh I think my highest honor was really that my chief's mess uh, uh you know, made me an honorary chief in, in the mess. And so that I think that's that's really the most significant award I've ever gotten.
1: Mhm. Very cool. Well, you you have such a strong desire to educate people, um, you know, raise awareness, but also give a level of encouragement about what people can do and what you're capable of. And uh, that's, that's really cool hung because we need, we need role models like you in the world that, you know, are, are ready to step up to the plate and, and show people that they can do, do good things. So thank you for that. Um, well, How about, um, what, what kinds of things inspire you and, and keep you, keep you focused on your goals?
0: You know, it's, it's people that inspire me, you know, sacrifice of people given, um, like Taylor Morris, you know, I mean, gosh, Mm -hmm. what, what an amazing American, you know, he drives on every day and, you know, when you have, when you have hard days, when you think it's hard, you know, I, I. I pull up his, uh, his website and, and look at it and go, you know, um, uh, I bet my day is not as tough as what, uh, Taylor had to go through today, you know? And, and, and also some of the gold star families, you know, have not, not having their, their, their father or their mother or brother or sister or their son, son there anymore. That, that's what drives me. Um, there's a spe- very special family called, uh, name, um, it's, uh, Sean English's family. He's a army engineer, uh, diver, and he was killed in, um, in Afghanistan. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm still in touch with their family. Uh, in fact, one of their sons wants to apply to the Naval Academy. So I've been mentoring him through that process and, and I'm hoping he'll be my, my son's classmate. Cause my son's gonna, uh, he's going to a prep school and then he will be class of twenty 26. I'm really hoping Austin will and, and Gabriel will be, uh, classmates at the Academy together. But again, it's, it's the, the, I guess it's the inspirational stories of people that have come before us that, that really drives me every day.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So your son is going to join the Naval Academy, or he's accepted yes, into? Yes,
0: so he's going to, so he's he's been uh, accepted to the uh, foundation program. So basically he does one year prep school, and then he's automatically accepted to the class of 2026. So he'll graduate exactly 30 years after I do.
1: Wow. That's a proud, proud father yes, moment. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, my. Is he your oldest child?
0: He is my oldest. Yes, my oldest of five, and uh, mm-hmm. you know he's just—he's just a great, uh, a great. Uh, I mean, I hate to say kid because he's eighteen now, but he's just. Uh, I mean, he's Eagle Scout. He got his Eagle Scout in, in, uh, in uh, a little over two years. He he's led his troop and through pretty hard times, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm glad some of the stuff kind of rubbed off on him in terms of taking care of his uh, his troop, and he he had to deal with some very adult things. Um, and, and he, he did really well I'm very proud of him and then also he he works with, he's been working at chick-fil-A for two years as a shift leader you know leading leading a, a team so you know he knows what hard work is like
1: that's great that's great well uh, we wish him all the best that's that's uh, fantastic you, yeah um, well hung I know that you do a lot of public speaking um, you're a Christian mentor and have a strong faith. Um, and and so much more. Um, I understand that family is so important to you. And do you have any, you know, messages or message that you would like to share with young military families that are just starting out?
0: You know, I have to go on, on a you know the uh, the Christian side of it because I am a Christian mentor. And mm-hmm. The thing is, anybody who says uh, you know God won't give you anything you can't uh, handle it's. It's not really true, right? He will give you more than you can handle because how else are you going to lean on him mm-hmm. and, and, and depend on him? And I think that's that's what our, our military families need to, to understand is just you need to have someone to lean on um, because you can't do it alone. You're going to need, and, and God sends people to help you along the way. You know, we've had so many people that in our lives who, who, who've shown up and, and were there. For example, my oldest son was born when we were invading Iraq, and so, um, you know, having some friends there in fact this young lady who is nurse and, and this is like you know 18 years ago um she was studying to be a nurse at times she, she was in the delivery room with her with my wife and 20 uh, 18 years later her husband works for me here and you know we're we're close friends but again we've gone all over the world you know and then to be brought back here in Reston and living close to each other and and now uh, her her husband's a contractor that works for me here is It's just an amazing, mm-hmm. you know, testimony that, that things come back around in, in full circle and, and people are putting your lives, you know, um, in order to help you along. Uh, and so, never, never uh, turn down help and, and always le- look to to friends to to, to lean on. But really, you know, at the end of the day, all those friends were there because God put them there. And so, you know, lean on God as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Well, and it absolutely sounds like your wife is an incredible lady as well.
0: <laughs> oh, she is. She's, um, she's an EMT for the, the county, so she, she, she does her, her uh, emergency response too. So it's, it's weird for all these years for me to, uh, you know, it's, it was her worrying about me going out, and now it's me worrying her about her going out. I mean, right. It was tough during COVID, and then she also was an EMT during the, uh, the inauguration this past uh, January, so you know, I, I was worried. I mean, because I mean, all of DC was blocked up. And I, I didn't know what to expect, and and here I am, staying up all night worrying. Um, where where for years it was the other way around, where mm-hmm. she was up all night worrying about me deploying and stuff like that. But you know, she's she is an incredible woman. She's an author. Uh, you know, she's she's a Christian writer also, and and then also she she homeschools all five of our kids.
1: Wow, what are the ages of your children? I know you have your you have your oldest is eighteen, but
0: Yes, I have eighteen, and my daughter is uh, almost sixteen. Uh, and then I have twin, uh, twin ten-year-old daughters. Um, and then this this uh, this kid out of nowhere—he's almost three. He, he was born on my birthday, so oh. in in a couple of weeks he will turn three. Oh! I, I honestly have no idea where he came from because all I did was kiss my wife. Almost, <laughs> and then the next, you know, he came out of nowhere.
1: Okay. <laughs> oh, that's really great. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate what your wife does for uh, the community as well, Hung. So that's that's awesome. Um, well, I read that you actually started a nonprofit entity called Audible Easter Eggs. What was what was your inspiration for this, and how can someone learn more about it?
0: Oh, um, so again, this is not something I uh, the the. Audible eggs itself is not something I, I came up with. I think it's just all the EOD techs have, you know, you know how we make uh, training devices so we can test each other. And sure. so instead of blowing up, which would, you know, destroy a lot of property, it would just beep to let us know that we screwed up, right? And so uh, a long time ago, some EOD tech decided, hey, I'm going to put this in a plastic egg so the blind children can find it. And I've done this with uh, the local police um, uh, bomb squads for years. But what I, we did is we we nationalized it by making it a national nonprofit organization. Really, to, I mean, we got patents for this thing. It's really because if you go on eBay, you'll find people selling this for a lot of money. And this this should be just a, a joyous thing for kids. And so we we want to build a whole bunch of devices. I think we've built over uh, you know four thousand of them and ship them out across the country to all local bomb squads uh, and, and schools for the blind, so that children uh, with visual impairment can enjoy you know, what, what's, what's a, a, a national tradition to, for the egg hunts. And so we did this and and then we were invited to the White House to do this at the Easter egg roll every year for, for, you know, for a few years, we, we stopped doing it only, um, I think that the change in administration, some things got lost, but honestly, it, it was a lot of work, um, to, to go to the White House, to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the funny stories was my, uh, my son kicked out Beyonce and, and Jay-Z because, they, they had roped off this area just for the, the, the you know, at certain times. And, you know, uh, Jay Z and Beyonce went strolling in there with their kids. And he goes, I'm sorry. He had no idea who they were. I think my son was probably 12 at the time. He's like, I'm sorry, sir, ma'am, uh, but this is reserved for children with visual impairment. You're going you to have to leave. And, and, you know, Jay Z was all, um, Jay Z was kind of dumbfounded like oh my gosh who is this kid kicking me out and then he got embarrassed when he found out it was really for for children with uh visual impairment so he's like oh i'm so sorry man hey you want a picture and Gabriel didn't know who he was he's like no no thanks i just want you off the field <laughs> so it was just a funny he was very respectful uh, res, uh respectful and the the the, the adults because i had to run off to go get a uh, another family that was at, waiting for us at the gate um and so i, I had to bring him in through the back door because you know these kids can't stay in line for, for hours to, to come in there mm-hmm. and so I came back and uh, all the other workers were like your son's our hero he just kicked out beyonce and jay-Z and my son's like I'm sorry dad I didn't know I'm like son you did nothing wrong right you know but anyways I, that's a that's a weird segue I'm sorry I, I went off on the tangent of that but it's just to be able to bring this kind of joy to kids uh you know and to see the look on the parents face for the, when they their kids are finding these eggs for the first time is really Amazing. But for me, it's also teaching my kids to serve others, mm-hmm. right? Serve people that are, they're, uh, I hate to say less privileged, but, you know, they, they have other impairments that we don't think about. Uh, and so, you know, it's very important for me to teach the kids to do that. And they, of course, in the process, they learn how to solder things. They know how to make electronic, uh, you know, circuit boards and stuff like that. It's always fun to do that as a family every year. Mm-hmm. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's about serving others.
1: Right. Right. Well, it's a very important, um, lesson to teach. Um, you know, we can't get through this world without helping one another and also realizing that you have to meet people where they are and, um, be willing to, to contribute and, and give back. So I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you have any words of advice for, uh, EOD technicians out there, uh, whether they're active duty or, or veterans.
0: Well, I, I love what I do. I love what we do and what we stand for. I mean, it's we have such a diverse field, and, and every EOD tech um, that that we work with, uh, that I've ever worked with, you know, it's it's that um, that immediate um, camaraderie when you see that badge and you know what that person went through. Uh, I think that's that's what makes us unique. We, we know that we run into the fire, you know, we go into w- when a building, when everybody else runs out and it's not much different from first responders or anything else, but it's a different, um, it's a different lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's hard on the family. So I, I just need for them to understand that, you know, I, I guess I didn't understand it until very recently when my wife became an EMT that when, you know, your heart kind of stops when you hear, you hear that, that there's a call out there or, or a, um, an emergency and, and you know, don't forget about the family at, at home because it's, it's easy for us to get wrapped up into, you know, the operation and, 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 um, uh, when we're on call or whatever else, you know, cause it is an adrenaline rush, but there is a person at home that's, that's waiting on bated breath for you as well.
1: Right. Right. um, Well, how many years have you served so far, Hung?
0: So uh, I came in 1989 and then uh, a couple of years enlisted and then then I went to the Naval Academy. And and so I graduated in 96. So really, uh, commission-wise, it's 25 years commission and and really it's about 27 27 total.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And are you, are you preparing for retirement or what's your, what's your goal yes. here? You are. I'm about
0: two months out from retirement. Um, you know, it, it's kind of scary, right? This is all I've known mm-hmm. since I was 17. Um, yes, I'm, I'm preparing for that transition. And, you know, I, I really have no idea what I want to do when I grow up because being an EOD guy is almost like being a kid, you know, you get to, I mean, you get to parachute, you get to, to, to uh, repel, you get to dive, you get to blow things up. I mean, what, what kid does want to do that? Um, and so I feel like it's it's time to to uh, to get out. And, and there's much more capable people behind me that uh, that are coming up in the ranks. And so you know, at some point, you know, it's it's time to to bow out and let someone else uh, bring up the mantle. Right. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm preparing for my next phase in life as well. Okay.
1: All right. Well, um, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you um, and I talked about you know, getting that final physical and getting that final look from, um, physicians and, and getting things documented. And you mentioned the National Intrepid Center of Excellence, which is NICO there at Bethesda. Um, what has, what has your experience been like? And do you have any words of encouragement for those that may be retiring and, you know, on the fence of whether they should really, you know, get get additional uh, advice and that sort of thing from physicians as you as you kind of leave service.
0: You know, the best physicians I've ever dealt with in my entire career were uh, have been at NICO. I mean, this this one doctor uh, Sue Cullum. She's she's so incredibly thorough. I mean, before I even came in there, she had done a complete review of my record. And wrote down everything from 1989 until now that has ever bothered me, and and she put in one sheet so it makes it easier for the Veterans Affairs uh, to 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 review my records. She put it in one place, uh, dates and everything else. Hey, on this date he broke this. On this date he he, he had a concussion. On this date he, uh, you know, he, I mean everything that, that that happened to me and. and and she's very insistent and of course for me it's like oh well, I don't have time to do this i mean she really wants me to do one month uh, residency up there but mm-hmm. I, I don't have i honestly don't have the time and i regret not doing this earlier uh but you know it's like the way i see uh, you know it is a pride thing where we're like oh, i'm fine look at me you know i can still run i can do all sorts of stuff but but honestly it's a um, just imagine like renting a car right i mean you if you rent a car and you put a ding in it or you scratch it up – they're gonna charge you for it, and so the way I see it, the military's rented us for 20, 30 years, and and they've dinged us up. I mean, all the things we do, uh, it, it's you know it 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 adds up. Mm-hmm. And uh, every explosion, I remember they asked me like, "Well, how many explosions have you been around?" I'm like, I'm "Like, I don't know, about a thousand? You know, I mean, every single time we we blow stuff up, or every time we're in the, in the um, a shoot house or something like that all that it adds up and, and we not, may not, we might not think that there's anything wrong with us, but you know, when your wife tells you, Hey, you know, I've noticed over the years, you, you you're, you're more short tempered or, or, you know, you get uh, frustrated a little uh, more easily. You know, those are, those are indicators that for us to, to really take care of ourselves. Cause you know, the Navy's going to kick us out at some point, but our, but our family is going to be around forever. And so we owe it to them to take care of ourselves so we can be better fathers and, and husbands to our, our families.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, then so many of the things that you guys go through are our, our military service members in general, you know, it's an accumulative effect after many years of service. So um I, I think, you know, taking care of yourself is so, so important and documentation is As, as important, if not more, and, um, giving yourself an opportunity to really, uh, have somebody look at you before you exit the military, I think is very, very important. So, um, again, you know, folks leading the charge in that way and not being afraid to say, I'm going to do this. You know, it encourages others to, to do it also. So it
0: does. I'm telling you, I'll be, I'll, I'll be very honest. I've lied for, for, you know, almost 30 years of, mm-hmm. of my true health, right? We don't want to say anything that will cause us to, to, to not be able to deploy, you know, cause we want to be in the mix and we want to do this stuff. So we, we, we hide things and, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, that stuff adds up because some at some point you're going to pay and, and, you know, and unfortunately it's going to be that, that dark time when no one else is around and, and these things catch up, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. everything from from, uh, you know, a bad jump, you land and you hit your head to honestly to the stuff we've seen, you know, to, to have to bring back bodies from the body of the ocean, uh, you know, just dead bodies left and right or having to dig through body parts to to look for evidence uh, of an explosion, and stuff like that. Those are things that, that, you know, we can run. And I think that's what I feel like I, I've been doing is I've been running and running because I don't want these these trains that, that are behind me to catch up but at some point you you come to the end of the road and and those trains will come crashing into you if you don't if you haven't uh dealt with them over the years.
1: Right. Right. No, that's a great great analogy. Um and I do think there's there's absolutely fear um or you know, folks don't want to say anything because they don't want their dive pay taken away. They don't want their, you know, they don't want to be in a non-deployable status. It's it's just a multitude of things. But, you know, when you're aging, <laughs> it catches yes. up with you. And
0: So, for example, uh, I had sleep apnea, right? And, and mm-hmm. the doctors didn't, they're like, wait, you know, you're a skinny guy, you know. what?" But, you know, I and, and I was afraid of getting a CPAP because, you know, how do you deploy with all those things? So they decided to put up an oral appliance in there. It's a mouth guard that moves your lower jaw forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that, that has secondary effects too, because what it does is it moves the lower jaw forward and and caused my teeth to mash against each other and wear down my teeth. And so, so now I've got, I, I just had to take these things off for this interview. So I didn't sound stupid, but I had to wear these, uh, Braces, these invisalign things, in order to pull, and the rubber bands to pull my jaw back for them to fix the the bite, and then they have to fix it. You know, it's just those things that you you're like, no, no, I, I don't want to do it because I don't want to be uh, uh, not physically qualified to deploy, and then you you know, then it sec- uh, causes secondary and ter- uh, tertiary effects too. So right. I just I, my, my message to guys is just like uh, the guys and gals out there is like, hey, don't you know when your body is is doing certain things, you have to listen to your body because it's just not normal and and you have to get it documented so that you can get get it fixed
1: right right well thank you thank you for sharing a a piece of your story in regards to that hung and also encouraging others to to listen to their bodies cuz it it is important and you know um, it's a pretty arduous career field <laughs> and it's, yes, it's it is. you know it really is it's very, but it's needed right i mean we, we need absolutely. people to do this stuff
0: and and, and to save lives and to protect the public.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, um, what are your plans for the future? Do you have any, have anything in mind?
0: Well, I mean, um, you know, obviously with five kids, I have to keep working. I can't just take the time off. Um, but, uh, I do want to do something where I'm still serving, right? I mean, there's, there's many capacities in which you can serve. Uh, I think that's, that's a calling. I don't think, you know, um, you know, if we were in it for the money, all of us would have gotten out earlier. Because I mean, EOD techs are, are generally—I think some of the smartest, smartest uh, uh, military people out there. Uh, um, and, and I'm not just saying that to be biased. It's just I've seen just incredible EOD technicians and how smart they are, both uh, you know, officers and enlisted. I mean, some of the guys, the enlisted guys, are just so brilliant. And so, I, um, I just think. Um, if we were in it for money, we would have gotten out a long time ago and made a lot of money. But those of us who stay in, it's just really for, um, it's the the sense to serve and and do something greater than yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. So I think
0: that's still inside me. So I I just, for the future, I want to look for a job where, where, um, where I can give more back to this country.
1: Right. Right. Well, I couldn't agree with you more in regards to how intelligent, um, eod technicians are and what i'm always amazed by is all of the creative talent that is that is behind them as well like all the creative things that they do um behind the scenes and in in their free time and uh i i mean incredible artists incredible you know craftsmen all, all kinds of things it's just it's really really cool to see that
0: oh yeah i've never had to i've never had to take my car to the shop, right? Cause some EOD guy knows how to fix it. I don't, I've never had to do it. You know, we can make anything like if you, uh, you know, you have a lathe or, or even a woodshop machine, those guys can build anything. I mean, it's, it is incredible to be around guys with so many different talents.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and the girls too, they, they're pretty cool too. <laughs> yes. I'm
0: sorry. You know, I, 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 I'm, please don't think I'm misogynistic in, in, in the French language. When, um, when you're talking about a generality, it's always masculine. Mm-hmm. So if you, you're talking about like ten thousand girls and one 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 guy, it's it's always he because it's it's a um, it's a way of thinking. So it's not me being sexist or anything like that. It's just the way we are raised. Is just when you're speaking generalities, it becomes a masculine thing. Uh, so I don't know how the the woke culture is going to take that, but that's how the that's how the French and I, I'm pretty sure the Spanish language and, and German. Is, is that uh, when you're talking generalities, it, it becomes a masculine term.
1: Right, right. But yes,
0: some of the young ladies I've, I've worked with, uh, you know, are just incredible people. I just met another one uh, this past weekend uh, this uh, at a retirement, C- uh Coger. I mean, she, she's she's awesome. And before that, you know, you know some of the, the female um, UD uh, technicians that taught at the dive school were just, they, they were in circles around these guys. And then they had just amazing skills also mm-hmm. uh, on, on the side of it too.
1: Right. Right. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today, Hung, um, in reference to, um, I don't know, your thoughts or encouragement or anything like that?
0: Well, uh, what I always teach people is, uh, well, the the first thing I always teach uh, leaders, especially like Boy Scouts, my son, my son knows this by heart. He's just, you know. Uh, you will not eat, sleep, rest, sit down, or relax, you know, this whole list of, of things. And at the end, it says, until your men have had a chance to do so themselves. And of course, when I say the men, I mean the men and women, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's basically you always put your, your, those you, you're in charge with above, above yourself, right? So leaders eat last, that, that kind of mentality. And, and, and if you're, it, it gives it the, the servant leadership mentality. Mm-hmm. And the second part of that is how, how do you develop yourself as a leader? Um, is, I always have three people in my life. life uh, no matter what, 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 whether it's a Christian thing, or if it's EOD, or even just as a military officer, you, you always have three types of people in your life, right? Like the, the mentor who teaches you the way to go, and then you have the the, the, the apprentice, the disciple, the person that you're trying to teach. Because the best way to learn is to teach. But the third person that's very important is that that your peer, your accountability partner. The person that's going to say, hey, hold on, you know, that's not right, or are you sure you want to do that? The person that's going to hold you accountable, that's, you know, so those three people in your life is it's always important um, as, you know, as an emerging leader or something like that, or, or somebody who's, who's serving others, to have those three types of people in your life is very important to me.
1: Very good. Thank you for sharing that, Hung. And I appreciate all of the time that you have given me um, even before this call and chatting chatting things and, and going back and forth via email and and just um, setting aside the time to chat with me on Behind the Warrior. And before I let you go, favorite things. What are some of your favorite things? So I have some questions here for you. And the first one is, what, what was your favorite duty station?
0: Oh gosh. Um, I, I, I have to say San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, San Diego. just the, the weather is always awesome and just being, being out there. And I was a shore debt OIC. So that was the closest I've ever been to to being in command. Um, and then, you know, because I was so tied in with the city, I, I was, um, you know, I, I knew all the cops there and stuff like that. And I, so it's, it's definitely San Diego or, or, I guess Panama city where I was really, you know, uh, the, I, I I did so much stuff with the city there. So those two places where I had so much influence were, were my favorite. Of course they're right by the water. So, mm-hmm. and that's a great part about being in the Navy, right? We're always by the water yeah. Uh, unless you're stuck here in DC, but, um, <laughs> where's, you know, my, my brother-in-law's in the army and some of the places that he's, he's, uh, he's been stationed. is just, just absolutely terrible. Right, you know? and, and so uh, just be blessed that you're in the Navy uh, if you are because you're always near water
1: right right no I would agree with that um, how about your favorite dive spot
0: uh, again it's got to be Panama City because you know we, we we they built a bunch of reefs out there and I, I was working with a city before I left to try to make it a a, um, a diving site that that's uh, you know we can I was trying to work and see if we can get old decommissioned, uh, things out there. Like, you know, my big dream was get a, an old ship and sink it out there to make it an artificial reef mm-hmm. or, or get tanks, you know, like old tanks and just drop it in there and, and make it look like a little, uh, underwater battlefield. But really just, there's nothing like the, the Panama city water that's warm and, and you can see for, for a hundred feet.
1: Nice. Very Nice. How about your favorite author or book?
0: The favorite book is the K Mutiny. It's uh it teaches a lot about leadership also. I mean it's uh, it's a great movie also um as well. But the the book teaches you so much about leadership. And you know, I had a, a stint where I was at a riverine unit and I had a horrible commanding officer. He ended up getting fired. He was a surface warfare officer. He he ended up getting fired for, for just uh just being not a good person, you know? But in order to pull the wardroom together, all the all the junior officers that were looking for, just yearning for leadership, and all of them were, were well, most of them were surface warfare officers, as well. Um, I I made them read the K mutiny because I was like, hey, you know, the reason why if you read the book and at the end you realize that the ship failed, you know, the CO failed because we, because the officers failed to rally around him, and so I tried to get them to rally around the guy, but really it was just too late. The guy was just a just a terrible person and Mm -hmm. and he just didn't understand what we went through but through that we we all grew together as officers and all those junior officers now are commanding warships out there you know uh, this guided missile destroyers and you know they're all they're all good friends of mine invited me to their change of command and be their speaker and stuff like that but uh, that book is a a great testimony in in terms of leadership and you know and how to face uh uh, difficult bosses
1: Mm -hmm. very good um, how about a favorite quote? Do you have one?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, there's something I learned a lot, gosh, gosh, in 1989. It's like, a, war is the best academy in the world where men learn by from necessity and practice by force, and both to some extent with duty and inaction and uh, reward in the end. And so what that means to me is like, you know, there's things that men and women go through in combat, uh, and And you build special relationships, but it really hones your skills. You know it, it's all the stuff that you can le- learn in a textbook at a war colleges nothing makes sense until you're actually in war.
1: Mm-hmm. Right when you're when you're doing it, when you're there, right? Yeah, Yes. Yeah. How about this is the last one. I promise I won't torture you anymore, but uh, how about a song that takes you back in time?
0: Oh gosh. Um I forget the um It's a uh, I think it's probably my my high school song. You know, it always mm-hmm. reminds me it's the, I think it's um I, I can I don't want to sing it for crying out Loud. Your your podcast <laughs> or your 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 audience will probably turn it off but um Oh gosh, it's so, you know it's 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 back in 19 it was very popular in 88. It's a um you know, this is the time to remember. Yeah, you know, I, I I don't know the song, but I, mm-hmm. I can I can hear it in my my head. But it, you know, certain things, certain smells, certain sounds, and stuff like that bring you back in time. And that one really just brings me back to to a time where before all this craziness and before I, I became so so obsessive compulsive and, and working so hard and stuff mm-hmm. like that when when I was just young young uh, kid in high school.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. Well. Very cool. Well. Hung, thank you very, very much for taking the time, like I said earlier, to uh, chat with me and share some of your life stories and, and experiences with our listeners, and we uh, wish you all of the best, and, um, you know, I know you're destined to do more great things in life, so um, you. enjoy your family, take the time for yourself and your family, and, uh, you know, best wishes to you.
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye right, right, Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at EODWarriorFoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.